And please turn with me in your Bibles now to Acts chapter 17. This morning we're going to consider the first nine verses, Paul and Silas in Thessalonica. And here in our text this morning, Paul and Silas have uh, received an accusation as those who are the disturbers of the peace. They've gained a reputation. These men have turned the world upside down. And so we're going to consider what role we have as God's people, as those who are actually called to disturb the peace. Now, to be clear, we are not called to be obnoxious or rude, but to disturb the peace with the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's give our careful attention to the word of God. This is Acts chapter 17, and we will consider together the first nine verses. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, and as was his custom, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded. And joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many other, many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as a security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Amen. This is the word of God. Very few people enjoy disturbing the peace. Very few people want to disturb the peace. Now, we may know, each of us may know one person who loves to ask the controversial question or loves to bring up that one topic that will stir the crowd a little bit. But overall, very few people ever want to disturb the peace. I want you to think about all of the relationships of your life. Think about your relationships at home, at work, at school, at the workplace, in your community. Think about your family and your friends. Think about the peace that each of those relationships enjoys. Hopefully, most, if not all, of these relationships are at a place of relative peace, and these people are enjoying peace. So what would it take for you to disturb that peace? What would it take for you to be willing 
to disrupt that peace that these friends and families currently enjoy? Is anything worth disturbing the peace that you presently enjoy in those relationships? Here in our text today, Paul and his companions travel to Thessalonica, and they happen upon a city that is at peace. Although the Jews here in this city do not like Roman occupation, they have still found a way to cope, and they are living at peace. So, and in general, this town, this city is at peace. And yet, here the Apostle Paul comes preaching a message that has disturbed the peace in every city that he has preached it. Should Paul disturb the peace in Thessalonica? Or should he, finding this city at peace, should he leave them? Should he refrain from disturbing the peace? Well, you already know what happened. Paul immediately goes into the synagogue to preach that gospel that disturbs. Without hesitation, Paul continued with his custom, which was to go right into the synagogue and to open up the word of God. Paul was not wrestling with whether or not he should disturb the peace. Instead, he had this inner conviction that compelled him to disturb the peace wherever he went. Why? What created this conviction within Paul's heart and mind? What created this commitment within him that caused him, compelled him to disturb the peace? And should we have the same? Should we have the same conviction as the Apostle Paul? Should we have that same commitment and willingness to disturb the peace that we see in and around our lives? Why would we disturb the peace in our own homes? Why would we disturb the peace at work or at school or in our own communities? What could possibly compel us to be the ones who would be willing to disturb the peace? Think about this in context. Paul and Silas have just escaped Philippi where they were beaten, receiving many blows. They were bound and thrown into the prison. They were put into the stocks. And then when they were finally released, they were ordered to leave town. Now they come to Thessalonica and it's at peace. It would be easy to imagine Paul and Silas saying, let's enjoy this peace for a while. So what could possibly compel them to disturb the peace? Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians about this very instance. And what he says there is, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Where does this boldness in our God come from? What is this boldness in our God? Why is it that Paul and Silas could not just take a few days to rest, but instead they were compelled powerfully to go ahead and disturb the peace in Thessalonica? 
Well, here in our text today, the Word of God gives us three answers to these questions. And we're going to consider the events as they unfold. And as we do, what we're going to do is learn about these three interconnected motivations that are designed to compel us as God's people out into this world so that we will be willing to compel or to disturb the peace that we find around us. What will it take for you and me to be those who cannot help but disturb the peace? Well, let's begin first by considering the message that disturbs the peace. The message that disturbs the peace. Our reading in the book of Acts confirms what our text now states outright. Paul had a certain habit or custom whenever he went into a new city. Paul and his companions have traveled now about 100 miles after they were asked to vacate Philippi. They come now to the city of Thessalonica. And so according to Paul's custom, as the text says, he goes into the Jewish synagogue to reason with them. Paul was a student of the most respected rabbi of this time, and so that gave Paul an extra opportunity to gain a hearing. And Paul was eager to take advantage of that opportunity and to gain a hearing in this synagogue in Thessalonica. So what was the message that he declared in the synagogue? Well, in each city it was the same, and everywhere that message went, it disturbed the peace. Well, our text here describes that message in three parts. First of all, the message is rooted in the word of God. The text says that Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. Paul knows that the word of God is the only infallible rule for faith and life. Paul knows that the word of God is living and active. Paul knows that the word of God is that instrument by which men and women are born of incorruptible, imperishable seed. And so Paul begins by going to the scriptures as the source of his message to make it crystal clear that this gospel comes not from man, but from God himself. Paul reasoned with them from the scriptures. Second, the message centers upon the finished and the ongoing work of Christ. The text says that Paul spent time explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Just before Jesus died upon the cross, he raised up his voice and he cried out saying, It is finished. What is finished? Well, the work of redemption was finished with Jesus' death upon the cross. When we refer to the finished work of Christ, we are referring to the completion of Christ's atonement. We're referring to the finalization of his work of redemption for us here on earth. But just because Christ's work of redemption was done here on earth does not mean that his work entirely is over. But Paul explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ not only to suffer but also to rise those words to suffer refer to the whole of Christ's finished work, whereas the words to rise refer to the whole of his ongoing exaltation. When God raised Jesus from the dead, he declared publicly, 
His satisfaction in the finished work of Jesus for the sins of all of those who will trust in Christ. But the work of Christ, the entire work of Christ is not yet finished. His work on earth, his work of redemption is finished. But now having ascended to the right hand of the Father on high, Jesus continues his work as our Savior from heaven. So what was Paul doing here in this synagogue? Well, Paul was going to the Old Testament. He was going to what was the whole of the scriptures at that time to explain and to prove that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise. So it's likely that Paul began at Genesis 3.15, that very first promise of the Messiah. There we hear the first articulation of that pattern prophesied regarding the Christ that he would suffer and rise. In Genesis 3.15, we learn about this promised seed of the woman, the Messiah, who will deliver a mortal blow to Satan, but in the process, his heel will be bruised, which means the victorious Redeemer will come clothed in suffering. It will be a suffering Messiah who will ultimately triumph over sin and death to open up heaven for his people. If you want to see more of this pattern in the Old Testament, look at Psalm 2, look at Psalm 16, look at Psalm 22, look at Isaiah 52 and 53, and there are many, many other places. But that brings us to the third part of Paul's message. The first showed that it was rooted in Scripture. The second showed that it centered on the finished and ongoing work of Christ. And then third, Paul proved that Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, he was that Christ. The text says that when Paul explained and proved that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise, that he then connected the Old Testament scriptures to Jesus, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So here is the apostle Paul in a synagogue, opening up the Old Testament scripture to clearly demonstrate that paradigm that was prophesied concerning the Christ and then showing how all of those prophecies were indeed fulfilled in Jesus. So that is the message that disturbs the peace. That is the message that disturbed the peace in every town in Paul's first missionary journey. That is the message that is disturbing the peace now in Paul's second missionary journey. Wherever this message goes, it ends up disturbing the peace because of the nature and the power of this message. Wherever it continues to go, it will inevitably disturb the peace. And so the question remains, why disturb the peace? Paul happens upon this synagogue in Thessalonica and they are at peace. So why disturb the peace? Well, this highlights the first answer to our question. And the first answer to our question is that the message that disturbs the, that disturbs the peace, it must be shared because it is great news. Fundamentally, this news needs to be proclaimed because it is the greatest news of all. Even though this message disturbs the peace, the magnitude of this news demands that it be declared. 
Just imagine a small town in a country that has been at war for years and years and years. Imagine that you have been entrusted as a herald with the great news that that war, that war that's been going on for years and years, it is now over. Victory is in hand. Imagine that you are sent now to this remote town to go and tell them about this great news. You arrive and you find the town at a state of relative peace. Somehow, within the wider context of the war, they have managed to find some semblance of normalcy, and things were, at least from a temporary perspective, going very, very well. They're at peace. Perhaps they're celebrating some sort of holiday. So would you disturb their peace? Well, the answer is obvious. Of course you would. Because the news that you have is far too great to delay for any degree of temporary peace. And that is why Paul and Silas here happen upon a peaceful city, a peaceful synagogue. But they are unwilling to refrain from disturbing the peace. Because the news that they have to declare is far too great to delay. Theirs is not news about one country gaining victory over another. No, this news goes beyond borders and it matters ultimately to every single soul alive. Victory has been won in the battle over sin and death. Victory has been won over hell. Victory has been won, and that victory means that all those who were once God's enemies can now be reconciled to God. They can be forgiven and have peace with God through that finished work of Christ. So why disturb the peace? Well, because the message itself demands its declaration. The news of Christ's finish and ongoing work is news that is far too glorious to be delayed because of any sort of temporary peace. We have great news and it demands to be declared. Well... That is the first answer to our question, and it was found by considering the message that disturbs the peace. So let's seek our second answer now by considering the meaning that disturbs the peace. We might say positively that Paul preached the message that disturbed the peace because it is great news, and that is true. But that's not the only reason why Paul proclaimed that message. And that's why we need to consider the meaning of his message. What did this message mean to a Jewish synagogue? What did this message about Jesus of Nazareth mean to those who were presently at peace? Well, it meant at least three things. First of all, it meant that these Jews had missed the Messiah. It meant that these Jews, and Jews are those who are waiting for the Messiah, it meant that they had missed the Messiah. What Jesus had once said about the Pharisees could well be applied to this synagogue in Thessalonica. Jesus said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me. 
These are people who held the Old Testament scriptures in the highest regard. And yet as they read the word, they failed to see that Jesus is the Christ. And so when Paul comes preaching this great news, it was very hard to hear. It was very humbling for this Jewish synagogue to hear because it meant that those who were waiting for the Messiah had missed him. They had missed the Messiah. Those who prided themselves on waiting for the promised Messiah, they had missed him. Second, this meant that the Jews were still in their sins. Another hard truth to hear. As Jews, these were the people of God. And they prided themselves in this fact. They were the sons of Abraham. But all of a sudden, Paul appears preaching this message that is calling upon them to repent of their sins and to trust in this Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. Again, this is very humbling for these Jews to hear. Jews at this time would have been unaccustomed to hearing any sort of message like this because in their minds, they were the ones who were clean. It was the Gentiles who were the unclean. And so when Paul comes and he preaches this message that demands their repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, it was, again, very, very humbling. It meant that those who thought of themselves as clean were still deeply stained by sin. It meant that these Jews were still in their sins. It meant that they were just as desperate as everyone else just as desperate in need of a Savior, Jesus. Well, third, this message meant that this present peace only masked reality. And it only made it seem as if they had real peace. It was a false peace. This supposed peace of this synagogue in Thessalonica could easily be compared to the temporary peace of that imaginary town in the midst of war. Can a town in the midst of war find a bit of reprieve? Yes. But would that peace ever make that town actually forget about the war? Would that temporary peace, would that brief holiday ever cause them to actually forget that they have an urgent and an ultimate need? No, it would not. But you see, that is what happens through sin's deceptive effects. Because of sin's deception, this Jewish synagogue believes that they are at peace with God when they are still his enemies. Their peace was only a supposed peace. It was a temporary peace. It was a deceiving peace. And the message that Paul preached meant that this present peace was only masking reality. Paul's message meant that they were not really at peace. These were still enemies of God and in great need. And once again, this is very, very humbling. The meaning that disturbs the peace is very humbling. It strikes against the pride of mankind's heart. 
It's very humbling to hear that you have missed the Messiah. It is very humbling to hear that you are still in your sins. It is very humbling to hear that you are not at peace with God. And it is very easy to see why the meaning of this message will always disturb the peace. And considering the meaning that disturbs the peace now highlights the second answer to our question, why would we disturb the peace? Well, the second answer is because the desperate need of the people demands it. Think about Paul and Silas arriving here in Thessalonica. Their bodies are still bruised and broken from the beatings back in Philippi. They have now walked a hundred miles. They are weak and weary. Why not take at least a few weeks and enjoy this peace? Well, Paul and Silas simply cannot do so because they cannot help but see the desperate need of the souls here in Thessalonica. Sure, they are enjoying a certain kind of peace, but presently they are still in great danger. They do not know the Messiah. They are still in their sins, and this peace is only temporary, and it is deceiving them about the greater reality. Paul and Silas see things as they really are, and it compels them to disturb the peace. Their hearts are for the people of Thessalonica, and that is why they disturb the peace. They cannot wait. They cannot delay because they see sinners in great need. Well, that is the second answer to our question. We found the first by considering the message that disturbs the peace. We found the second by considering the meaning that disturbs the peace. So let's find the third now by considering the miracle that that disturbs the peace. The miracle that disturbs the peace. Paul and Silas proclaimed a message that always disturbs the peace. And the meaning of that message always challenges its hearers. It is humiliating the man's sinful pride. So what took place in that synagogue? Well, when we read what we read here in verse 4, We need to see that an absolute miracle takes place. Verse 4 says, And some of them, speaking of the Jews, and some of them were persuaded and they joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. After three weeks of reasoning with them from the word, some of the Jews believed. Many of the Greeks believed, and not just a few of the leading women believed. In other words, a great many people suddenly come to saving faith. A great miracle has occurred. When Paul and Silas arrived, these were the ones who their hearts broke for, seeing them still dead in their trespasses and sins. And that is why they were willing to disturb the peace. And when they disturbed the peace with the word of God, with the gospel of God's grace, a great miracle occurred. And new birth happened. Through the preaching of the message that disturbs, many were brought to a new awareness of their need. 
They were brought to a conviction of their sin, and they finally saw the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ as the Savior. Well, just as the message disturbed and just as the meaning disturbed, so too this miracle. But how does the miracle disturb? Well, it disturbed in two ways. First of all, it disturbs in how it separates. The miracle of this new birth disturbs in how it separates. The text tells us when this great number of people believed, they joined Paul and Silas. This means that they were all in. This means that they were now separated from former allegiances, and they had new allegiances given over to Christ. This means that when this miracle occurred, it separated all of these brand new believers from the world and now unto God in Christ. And so the gospel disturbs wherever it goes because in this way it will separate. But then second, it also disturbs not only because it separates, but because of what that separation says. This is really disturbing. This disturbs the people of this world, and rightly so. When the gospel separates new believers out of this world, what does it say? Well, it says two things. It says one thing to the new believer and another to those who did not believe. To those who believe, that separation says your sins are forgiven. You have peace with God. You belong to a new eternal family. You will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. You now know God by faith and you will enjoy him perfectly in heaven forever. You have the greatest of news. That is what that separation says to the believer. But then to the unbeliever, it says the exact opposite. And it is disturbing. It says you are still in your sins. It says that you do not have peace with God. It says that you are still outside of the people of God. You do not belong to the people of God and you have been cut off from them or you you do not belong to them. And if you do not have faith in Christ, you will be cut off from the presence of God forever. And so the miracle of the new birth always disturbs because of how it separates and because of what that separation says. I met a man recently who came to faith in Christ about six months ago. And he reported that in coming to know Christ, he lost all of his friends. Well, he's experiencing the separation of our text. He's experiencing separation from the world and separation unto God. He's experiencing exactly what happens here. And his, his friends no longer, no longer want to associate with him because he's no longer like the world and because they are disturbed by what this separation says. Which is why we can see here in our text why the Jews were provoked to jealousy. When that separation says something about the unbelieving Jews, they are provoked to jealousy. And that jealousy is so strong that it compels them to form this strange alliance. 
They go out and they partner with the robbers found out in the streets to now turn the city into an uproar. And all of a sudden, in our text, we see that that city that was once at peace has had its peace utterly disturbed. So why disturb the peace? Paul and Silas came to Thessalonica. It was at peace. Now it's in an uproar. What would make it worth doing that? Why disturb the peace? Well, our final answer is because this is how God saves. This is the means that God has given to call sinners out of darkness and into his marvelous light. If you were to ask those Jews, those, some of those Jews who believed, or those many Greeks who believed, or those leading women who believed, you're going to ask them, was it worth it for Paul and Silas to disturb the peace? And their answer is an unhesitating yes, of course. Are you kidding me? That is how God saved me. Because Paul and Silas were willing to disturb the peace in that synagogue, Think about it this way. Because Paul and Silas were willing to disturb the peace in that synagogue, those Jews, those many Greeks, those many leading women, they are worshiping with us right now in heaven because by God's design, it was Paul and Silas's disturbing of the peace that God used to save them. Why disturb the peace? Because this is how God saves sinners. This is God's good design for the advancement of his kingdom. This is God's good design for the ingathering of all of his people. So now, considering the message, the meaning, and the miracle that disturbs the peace, we have these three reasons why we ought to be willing to disturb the peace. Think about them all put together. Number one, we have great news. We have great news that victory has been won. Sin and death has been conquered by the Lord Jesus Christ. And this world is still in desperate need to hear it. We have great news, news that is so good that it demands to be declared. Number two, sinners are in desperate need. It doesn't matter if they are enjoying a great earthly existence if they remain children of wrath. No amount of temporary earthly peace can make up for an eternity. If sinners die without Jesus, they will be cast into hell forever. And number three, this is how God saves sinners. God designed to save sinners through a gospel that disturbs the peace of this world. And this is what Jesus has called us to do in the Great Commission He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, 
Jesus has called us. He's saying, listen, it is my prerogative because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. And in the language of this sermon, disturb the peace. That supposed peace in people's lives. So that you can declare to them that great news that they need to hear. That they are desperately in need of so that God may use it to save sinners. Because look at here at our text. That is precisely what we see happening in our text. Paul and Silas are simply obeying the great commission. They are making disciples of all nations and that is why Jews Greeks and not a few leading women suddenly come to saving faith. So now I want you to consider the peace that is found throughout your life. Consider all of the various relationships of life. Think about your own home. Think about school or work, your community, your gym. Think about all of the relationships of life. What will it take for you to be willing to disturb the peace? None of us want to simply disturb the peace. And that is a good thing. That's a good inclination. It's not natural for any of us, but as we have seen here in the word of God, we can all agree that it is well worth it. It is well worth it because we have been entrusted with great news. And sometimes we simply need the word of God to remind us of this greater reality once again. We need to remember that even when we have a temporary peace, there is still a bigger picture at play. And we are the ones who have been entrusted with great news. Sometimes we need to be reminded of the desperate need in the world all around us. Sometimes we need the word of God to direct our attention to the people in our lives like Paul and Silas to the citizens of Thessalonica. When Paul and Silas looked upon them, they saw sinners lost and in desperate need and there was no time to waste. And the Lord wants us to look around at the people in our lives who do not yet know Christ and have the same sort of sympathy for them. And then on top of it all. The word of God comes and sets before us. This is God's design for how he will save sinners in this world. So that we will see it by faith and believe it. Trusting that if we will step out in faith, God will use us to call sinners out of darkness and into his marvelous light. See here in the word of God that this is the means that God has designed to rescue others out of the flames of judgment. Here in our text today, we see two men, Paul and Silas, who believe these three things to the very core of their being. And it compelled them to disturb the peace wherever they went. 
And it was because these were their core convictions that Paul and Silas gained the reputation as those who had turned the whole world upside down. Well, seeing all of this in the word of God, let us simply commit to praying that God would bless us to believe these same things to the core of our being so that we too, even if only in a small way, if only with our short lives, that we too might be used by God to disturb the peace in the lives of those around us for the sake of their lost souls. Let us seek that God will do in us the things that we are afraid of, unsure of, think, I can't possibly do it. Let us bring it all to God and say, Lord, use my life to disturb the peace in this world for the salvation of souls and for the glory of your name. Let's go to him and pray for that right now. Our gracious God in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord God, you have said that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. And here you have just fed us with your word. And we pray that we might take it in to our souls believingly and that we might bring it back to you even now in prayer and that you might conform us into the image of Christ, that we might believe these things. Lord God, will you please cause our hearts to see and to believe and to love each of these truths at the core of our being so that we in the, the best possible sense would be those who disturb the peace everywhere we go. Lord, we have great news and sometimes it becomes <clears throat> mundane to us. Sometimes it becomes regular. We have become accustomed to it. And yet there is a whole world in desperate need for it. And so we pray that you would convict us of these two truths, that we truly have great news. And that there is a world still in desperate need. And we ask that you would also convict us of that final truth that this is the way in which you have called us to be those who will disturb that imposter peace that we see in this world so that you might save sinners, so that you might glorify your name. Lord, we know our own hearts. We know how much we are still in love with this world. You know how much we... We, we loved our own comfort, and the thought of disturbing the peace is challenging. And yet, Lord, we ask that you would do these things in us for your name's sake. We ask that we would be like John the Baptist, saying, May we decrease and may you increase. Will you bless us today as we continue to meditate upon these three truths? 
May we meditate upon them in such a way that we cannot lose sight of them and that even this week we would begin to disturb the peace with the good news of Jesus Christ. And we pray that in so doing, you would bring many more to yourself. Do this in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.